If you produce, direct, or perform in theater of any kind in most cities, you've most likely been reviewed by a theater critic. The person usually works for a newspaper of some kind, and in more modern times, they might simply run a theater blog. In cities like Vancouver and Toronto, there are many theater shows being produced in a year, and there is an expectation of quality that comes with so many choices for theater patrons. We can't all escape the cutting review, but lots of us have had glowing reviews and have felt the elation and validation from the carefully crafted words of a reviewer. But do reviewers make a difference? Should we put stock in the reviews as theater patrons? Will it help an actor get more work? Less work? Today on From the Pit, I talked to Jerry Wasserman, one of Vancouver's most respected reviewers about these questions and more. So let's begin reviewing the situation from the pit. Jerry Wasserman is a Renaissance man. He is a well-known TV and film actor, former head of University of British Columbia's theater and film department, retiring last month, respected theater critic, and literally wrote the book on Canadian theater. Ironically, he's American, Cornell University educated and lover of the blues. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. If you haven't looked yourself um, on ratemyprofessor.com, I'm sure you'll be happy to know that you scored a 4.2 out of 5 overall, and you've been rated as red, spicy, pepper hot. Only 4.2. I'm disappointed. <laughs> um, I thought Luke it was funny. Lukewarm review. Damning with faint praise. Yeah. It, 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 rate My Professor is one of those websites that teachers are, are warned not to look at. <laughs> it, can wreck your, it can wreck your brain. I'm sure it can. Yeah. I, it's a nice, the unfiltered, you know, populace coming at you. Well, it's like getting a bad review, right? <laughs> it is just like getting a bad <laughs> review. Have you ever had a bad review? Oh, yeah. Do you remember oh, yeah. what it was for? You know, I've kind of, I've kind of blocked it out. Um, uh, what, what immediately comes to mind is a bad note. Oh Um, yeah. A bad review from your director during rehearsals. Um, this was a Vancouver director. It was a show at the arts club and, um, we came out of rehearsal and I was actually feeling pretty good about the scene. And the director said to me in front of the whole entire cast, that was the most boring performance I've ever watched wow and uh and i thought seriously about just getting up and walking out and saying you know i don't really i don't need this shit totally but um but instead i thought all right i'm going to be an adult about this i'm going to learn from that note i'm going to take it to heart and um so yeah it you know it can be pretty i mean that's a kind of it was kind of a mini review it was Mm. semi-public yeah uh, so that I felt humiliated um, mm. because other people were privy to it. Right. Well, that's a very public one. I mean, so much in the room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm sort of drawing an analogy mm-hmm. um, to reviews um, that get, say, published in the paper where you get trashed mm. um, and you know that your peers are reading it. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, I do understand what... Um, I do understand what's at stake... Sure. Kind of emotionally and, and egotistically mm-hmm. and artistically as well. Of course. 
if from your view, what do you think the role of a reviewer? Well, first of all, do you mind the word critic? Is that is that applicable? I don't mind. I, I um, I mean, uh, we use the word critic in you know in academic circles, right? Uh, as a generic term, not as a. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't carry any any particular positive or negative weight. It means somebody who analyzes, um, as opposed to somebody who criticizes in a right. sort of negative sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I consider myself a critic, right. and I think you know one of the roles of criticism is to is to dissect, is to um, uh, is to examine carefully. And take the thing apart and explain how it works and why it works if it does and why it doesn't work if it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I think criticism in that sense is a very important part of reviewing. Right. It's not just a thumbs up, thumbs down kind right. of. Uh, how? What do you think the role of a, a reviewer slash critic is? That's a that's a very complicated one. I, I've been on a lot of panels where that question was right. raised and. Um. In my role as a Vancouver theater critic, mm-hmm. it's particularly complicated because I'm—I've got so many conflicts of interest. I'm implicated in so many ways. I—I I review people that I've taught. I review people that I've worked for. I review people that I want to work for. I review people that I've worked with. Uh, I review people that I've known for forty years. Some of them very closely. Um, so I, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not in any way objective. I, I don't play the role, and I don't actually really even believe entirely in the role of the um, super objective critic who has no um, subjective interest in, in, or personal interest in anything that's going on. Hmm. I'm a member of the community that I criticize and review in, in a variety of ways. So, um, so... And I think everybody knows that, or most people know that, since mm-hmm. I've been around for a long time. Um, so, I, so I'm not objective. I, I am, in many ways, I consider myself um, an advocate, if not a cheerleader, for, for the local theater community, although I believe that it needs that kind of advocacy and cheerleading a lot less now than it, than it has in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, so I think in part the role of the reviewer in a city like Vancouver, especially now when there are so um, few outlets for public reviews other than online blogs, uh, is to help publicize the theater, mm-hmm. is to make people aware that there is um, a vibrant theater community doing some really, really interesting and sometimes very, very good work that... Um, people should know about in a marketplace where theater is competing with a whole lot of other arts and sports and outdoor activities. I believe the role of the theater critic is to point out where the theater artists themselves have gone wrong and gone right, um, to cheer when it's warranted and to, and to complain when I believe it's warranted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important for the I think it's important for um, the artists themselves, and it's also important for the public to know um, that that somebody presumably with some authority and 
experience of the theater um, is able to say, look, this is a this is especially this is an especially good show. You should really try not to miss this. Mm. Or um, this could have been a really good show, but it went wrong for this reason, and hopefully that will improve in the course of the run. And the next time they somebody takes this on, they won't make the same mistake or something like that. I mean, it's not a. I don't think it's a. It's, I don't think it's a crucial role in the in the scheme of things. I think um, the world would continue to rotate on its axis without theater <laughs> critics or reviewers. Um, but I think within the within the um, what I what I like to call the ecology of a, of a theater, um, a theater community, a, a, you know, the, the, the various interconnected parts that include the artists, the audience, the work itself, the work and development, um, that, you know, that theater, that intelligent theater criticism can play an important role. Do you find that you give different weight depending if it is a professional production or an amateur production? Yeah, that's another tricky one. Um, I do have trouble with amateur productions. Um, I, I don't generally, re- I don't review amateur productions much anymore. And even the word amateur um, uh, doesn't really fit most of the non-equity shows that I see in Vancouver. I call, tend to call them semi-professional mm. Um, United Players, you know, always has a couple of equity actors thrown in with their non-equity actors. And even the non-equity actors, many of them have professional experience. You don't have to be a, a union member to be a professional. Certainly a lot of the best musical theater um, performers in Vancouver are not non-equity. Mm-hmm. Um, kids right out of school haven't gotten their card yet. Some people choose never to get their card. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but... Yes, um, you know, if I were reviewing a Studio Fifty Eight show or a, a Metro Theater show, I tend to pull my punches a qu- quite a bit more. Um, I don't go out of my way to criticize weaknesses in performances, which I would do with professional actors, because I think it's warranted in a professional circumstance. Um, you're paying to see people who are being paid for their work, and if they're being paid for their work and they're not performing up to a certain standard, I think that that should be noted. I try to avoid it as much as possible, those kinds of reviews, because uh, mm. um, as a reviewer, you don't want to come in with kid gloves because it doesn't really serve anybody. Mm. Um, if everyone knows that you're kind of being gentle because they're kids... Um, I haven't really figured that one out. Sure. I mean, I got a lot of I got I got reviewed a lot when when I was in college. When I started, uh, um, when I came to Vancouver in the early seventies, my f- the first plays that I performed in were at were at UBC, mm-hmm. and they all got reviewed. Right. They all got reviewed in the Vancouver Sun and the, and in the province. There was there was almost you know there was hardly any professional theater going on here, and. Um, and the Freddie Wood shows were semi-professional. They they use professional actors in the lead roles, so they always got reviewed. Hmm. So yes, yeah, so I got a lot of reviews, and when I look back on them now, I can see that they're not that uh, those reviewers weren't really pulling punches much. I mean, they were treating these plays in the, more more or less the same way they would treat plays from the Arts Club or the Playhouse, hmm. which were the only other 
really professional venues at the time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any favorite musicals? Oh, wait, no, I think I might know this one. I know you like hair a lot, right? I do like hair, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I like the music. I mean, the musicals that I like are the, the, the shows whose music I like. Right. I mean, I think West Side Story is the best musical ever written. I, I yeah. It's never... Um, it's never gone stale for me. I've, I've heard it hundreds of times. I had the, you know, I had the, I had the 33 RPM record. Um, I have the CD. I, I've heard those songs hundreds of times. I think it's a spectacular show. Mm. Stephen Sondheim is a genius. Although I, I like that show much better than I like Sondheim's own work, kind of generally yeah. his later work. Um, I like Guys and Dolls. I like a lot of the classic American yep. American musicals. Uh, again, I think the songs are, are terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, Luck Be a Lady used to be my audition piece when I, right. uh, when I auditioned for musicals. It's a good choice, yeah. Um, uh, I, I love um, Les Mis. I think Les Mis is, for me, the you know, of, of more contemporary musicals. I think that's number one. Yeah. Um, again, the music is just phenomenally... Um, profoundly emotional and mm-hmm. powerful, and uh, that's what I respond to. Right. Um, I, you know the light, the light stuff. I I can appreciate. You know, I just saw what I just see. Music Man. So yeah. that that opening, you know, the opening number yeah. on the ra- on the train is brilliant. Yeah. Um, kind of appreciate that one intellectually, but uh, yeah. it's you know I wouldn't put that on my iPod. No, no, right? no, no. <laughs> whereas whereas the other shows, I, these other shows, I would put the whole the whole. Album sure, on yeah, that's right? good to know. Uh, an interesting fact about Rock Island, which is that song, yeah, yeah. which it's called, is um, in the out of town tryouts for that show. They originally had music for that song, and uh, they tried it for a while, and then they decided just before it went to Broadway that they would cut the music and just leave it completely. They thought it was much more effective. Yeah, a cappella. Yeah, train, and it really is. It is. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, and I would have to say it's probably the first sort of rap song that ever ended That's up right. being a musical theater. Yeah. Um, without that, no Hamilton. I I think it would have been okay. have been an actor in a few musicals right what did you actually perform in <laughs> well i started uh i started out my my very first show was a musical um it's how i got into acting actually i was uh i was in college i was in second year uh in, in new york at uh, adelphi university um i had uh i had a deep crush on a young woman who was a really professional singer and um she was going to audition for this musical, and the musical the following year was going to go uh, on a USO tour um, to Germany for two months. And, and I thought, I, I don't want this girl that I really like going off with all these horny guys for two months, not knowing that all the horny guys were gay, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of got really psyched up, and I, I auditioned for this show, which was called Leave It to Jane. It's a 1928 Jerome Kern corny oh. high school football player cheerleader. Um, I auditioned with an, an Anthony Newley song oh, yeah. from, from um, 
the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd called uh, Nothing Can Stop, Stop Me, me now. now. Wow. And, uh, and I got the part and um, went to Germany for two months and played to adoring um, fans and wow. PXs across Germany. And, uh, and I got hooked. And, and the second show I was in was um, Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I actually sang in that one. I had a, I was the, um, I was the, the magi- not the magician. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, I had to, mm-hmm. I had to do like magic tricks. Right. right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I got, I got hooked on that. And, and, um, a lot of the kids, uh, in theater at, at this school, which was in, on Long Island, the suburban New York school had gone to, had gone to, uh, fame high, um, oh, yes, right, of course. uh, in New York. And so they were, they were all musical theater kids. Um, there were a lot of really, really talented kids. And there was one guy in particular that I became friends with who could, he could transpose anything on the piano. So you could, so we just stood around the piano every night and just sang, right? I think the first musical that I ever saw was The Fantastics, which remains one of my favorites as well. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And that must have been, um, it was that, that late 60s, early 70s? No, this is the early mid 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So that must have been a pretty new show at that time, right? Did you see the uh, yeah, original I, cast in it? Uh, you know, Jerry Orbach? Jerry Orbach, yeah. <laughs> was it? I, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't remember because he wasn't Jerry Orbach then. He was no, just, no. You know, right? He was just some guy who did musicals. And, That's right. Well, um, doing 42nd Street right now at, at studio, I've been, you know, regaling them with the Jerry Orbach stories yeah. there because he, I think he still holds the lead, uh, uh, the the most leads on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. Man, which I think is just amazing because I, I knew him from Law and Order, of course. Right. First. I know, used to get, un, uh, oddly enough, I, I was sometimes mistaken for Jerry Orbach, partly oh, yeah. because I was doing um, I, I was doing Cold Squad, which was kind of the Vancouver version of Law and Order. And right. I have a kind of pockmarked face and my name is Jerry. And so for a while there, I had my touch of uh, real fame. Remember the kind of September when life was slow and oh so mellow. Try to remember the kind of September when grass was green and grain was yellow. Try to remember. Yeah, the Fantastics is a great show. Yeah. Although, so there's a musical that, that that's interesting. It was, uh, um, the Playhouse did Fantastics yeah. right near the end of its run. And I said, the, the Playhouse is going to fold pretty soon if they're doing this show yeah. on the main stage at the Playhouse Theater. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first times that I, re- that I really re- saw how um, particular kinds of musicals suited particular kinds of stages and, and, uh, and, and companies. And it was the wrong show for the wrong company in the wrong place. And it just didn't work, even though right. the music was still magical and the, the lyrics were so clever and they were, it was very well performed. And El Gallo was ah, so romantic. Yeah, amazing, yeah. But I think you're right about, well, absolutely. I mean, that show succeeded in New York because it was off-Broadway all yeah. the whole time. And it was in a smaller venue. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't put on a big stage. It's, some shows just don't translate the same to that right. size. Um, you know, I was going to bring up the Playhouse, just to, from a personal point of view for you, and how you feel about Vancouver theater at the moment. Whether you think how you feel about 
Playhouse closing and things. Well, I feel great about Vancouver Theatre. When the Playhouse closed, which I, I thought was very unfortunate, I did a couple of shows myself at the Playhouse, and, and I, I, you know, I saw a lot of great work there over the years. Um, I said, it's too bad the Playhouse is closing, but it's not going to make much difference at all <laughs> to, to the theatre community here. Except for the you know handful of people who worked there and made good money because it was an A house, nobody has the sense that there's a big piece missing. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because the arts club is you know has taken over that role and it had actually pretty much already taken over that role, which is one of the reasons the playhouse went down because it couldn't compete with the arts club, which attracted the same audience but in much greater numbers and with much much greater loyalty. Mm-hmm. I think Vancouver a theater now is as good as is better than it's ever been. Uh, it's an extraordinarily rich, um, artistically rich community. Amazing number of very very talented um, people uh, involved in it, especially in the musical theater scene. And this has, I think, everything to do with the. I can never remember the name of it. The College of Performing Arts on, Van- on Vancouver Island That's right. and Capilano. Um, Capilano University Musical Theater um, Program, which produces <laughs> extraordinarily talented people by the dozens, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And, and also Studio 58, which mm-hmm. is in the last, I think, 10 years, um, really started to focus on, like, they're, they're, like you said, they're doing 42nd Street That's right, yeah. um, next. And um, making musical theater part of the program, a significant um, part of the program. Mm-hmm. So generally speaking, I think, yeah, um, there are, you know, even outside of musical theater, there are a lot of smaller companies without a regular season, without a, without a home theater, um, who are doing really exciting work. And again, I tend to talk about the ecology. I think it's a very, very healthy theatrical ecology. That was um, my, my big concern when the Playhouse folded was that that, that particular piece, that the, the large theater, the regional theater piece... Um, if it went missing, how would that affect the whole? But, um, you know, it was kind of like the Everglades. The swamp just kind of came together and swallowed up that that hole. And I'd have to go into sort of a theater historical backstory here, but the, the Playhouse was a, a regional theater. The regional theater system in Canada was created in the 19, late 1950s and 1960s when Canadian professional theater was really just in its in its infancy. And um, things have changed so much since then that that regional theater model really doesn't have any relevance anymore. And so um, the fact that that Vancouver, BC's regional theater disappeared didn't didn't actually make that much difference. Right. It, it's amazing to me that, and I think that the TV and film industry has a lot to do with the health of the local theater community because people don't have to go to Toronto, they don't have to go to New York, they don't have to go to London to have a career uh, in the arts here. Um, in the performing arts, because, um, you know, you get a couple of TV and film gigs and then you can afford to do a play um, or mm-hmm. two or three. So um, so that's meant that uh, the talent that in the in the past would have gone elsewhere has to a large extent has remained here in Vancouver. Right. I remember when I came here in the 1970s that um, that theater would shut down in the spring, for instance. Other than theater under the stars, nobody did theater in the summer because as soon as the sun came out and the rain stopped, everybody would get in their sailboats or they'd go, you know, hiking. Um, and uh, uh, and the theaters would shut down. That's not, not it's no longer the case. It's now right. a 12-month theater season. Um, even, 
outside of Bard on the Beach, which is an extraordinary story in itself. So, of course. So, yeah, I think, I think Vancouver Theatre is in great shape. I, I love being, um, being part of it. And for me, the big problem as a reviewer is I just can't keep up. Right. I mean, everybody wants me to see their show. Sure. And you know, I, I, go, I go to the theater two to, three, two to three nights a week, and I still can only see a small portion of what's on and what I'd like to see. Someone to sit in your chair to ruin your sleep. That's true, but there's more than that. Is that all you think there is to it? You've got so many reasons for not being with someone, but Robert, you haven't one good reason for being alone. Come on, you're onto something, Bobby. You're onto something. Someone to need you too much. Someone um, I know that you have had interviewed Stephen Sondheim when he had come to Vancouver. Yeah. Um, Sigh. <laughs> um, what was that like? What was it? I mean, it was his, his big tour he was doing around North America. It was, it was one of the greatest nights of my life. I have to say it was certainly my favorite interview that I have ever done. And I've, I've interviewed some, some pretty special people, but Sondheim really stood out, um, partly because he is such a genius and I have so much respect for his, um, for his musical, for his compositional talents and um, his musical smarts. But he's just the most, just the sweetest guy, first of all. Just a n- Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Modest as can be, unpretentious as can be, smart as a whip. I mean, the guy was 82 years old or something like that when mm-hmm. I interviewed him. Um, you know, I've got, <laughs> drawing on all my cliches, mind like a steel trap. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, you know, he remembered everything. He was articulate. He uh, w- went into detail. He was good humored about everything. He listened to my questions and actually answered them, unlike many of the big names that I've interviewed publicly before. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, just generally speak. And, and of course, you know, and there was a full house at the, at the Vogue, a, a thousand people in the audience, all of whom, you know, worshipped uh, Sondheim. And so it was a pretty special occasion for me. I really thought, and I corresponded with him for a while afterwards. Oh, good. Um, I sent him, a th- I sent him, a, I forget, Christmas card or Hanukkah card or something and, <laughs> uh, and, and a thank you note. And he answered me a couple of times and all handwritten notes. He didn't, mm. I don't think he types actually. No, I don't think he does. Um, and uh, again, just very gracious. It's a yeah. lovely, lovely man. I have, I have some photos that were taken of uh, of the two of us um, at the at the podium, and I just have this look on my face <laughs> like I've died and gone to heaven. I mean, right. that's how I felt. It was pretty. It was pretty remarkable. Um, yeah, and uh, as I said, I'm not. A, you know, I'm not. A, I find his music um, uh, generally unmelodious and, and unmemorable. Um, his lyrics are brilliant. Uh, um, so, you know, I, of all, of all of his shows, company is the one that I prefer by, by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because the songs are so witty. Um, but, uh, but I, I really respect his, I respect his genius and, um, and I respect his humanity. As a critic, how, how do you keep it fresh for yourself going into shows? That's a good question. And I think that's a real danger, um, for anyone like me or, Colin Thomas, you know, who's been doing it for so, or Joe Lettingham, who's been doing it for so long, two, three nights a week, every week for year after year after year. It's very hard to keep it fresh. You can't walk out at intermission, you know, (laughs) you've got comps and you're the critic and everybody would notice. Um, I'll tell you, to be honest, I try not to see shows I don't think I'm going to like. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly um, avoid re- trying to review. Uh, I try to avoid reviewing shows that I don't think I'm going to like. I will tell the I will tell the um, the publicist. Um, I think I'm going to pass on this show because I'm pretty sure I you know I've seen it before. I've seen the play before. I hate it. And I don't, what would be the point of my going when I know I'm going to give it a negative review? Um, or I've heard the buzz about this show, this new play, and it's, don't think it's my particular cup of tea, so maybe I'll take a pass on it. So that's partly how I do I try to pick my spots. Sure. Um, I think the main thing is that I really love theater. I love it. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do this. It's not like I'm making any money off of it. Right. Um, uh, you know, I'd much rather be in it than <laughs> than than review it. Right. Um, I like reviewing. I mean, I do. I love reviewing, actually, and in a lot of ways, it's um, I find it to be a creative kind of uh, critical writing. Uh, it does give me some profile in the community, which I also like. It's very, very important to keep things fresh. I mean, the worst the worst criticism. Um, is always the criticism that comes from reviewers who have just been around too long and have seen too much stuff and have gone jaded. We've had over the years, not recently, but <clears throat> over the years, we've had reviewers, particularly for the Vancouver Sun, theater reviewers who were of that ilk, and um, who just, you know, it was like they had had, had something bad to eat before they <laughs> came to the theater, and they were just really sour about things. And hmm. I don't want to be that guy. I mean, I'd, I'd retire from the profession before I got to that point, I would hope. Sure. Look at these yeah. reviews. A satiric masterpiece. No way out. A surprise smash. No way out. It was shocking, outrageous, insulting, and I loved every minute of it. No way out. How could this happen? The show was lousy and long. We did everything wrong. Where did we go right? Christmas came early to Broadway this year, and guess who they stuffed in our stocking? Adolf Hitler. It was so crass and so crude. Even Have you found the role of a critic has changed over the years? Or, or I mean, maybe it's location? I, I don't think so. I mean, the demise of the daily newspaper has made a big difference in terms of the, just the kind of availability of professional criticism for, for theater and, and other arts. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've been involved with... Um, the first the Vancouver province and, and now the Sun and province because they basically have merged their newsrooms since 2004. And so I've, I've had a close-up view of, of what's happened to at least to Post Media and to those two, you know, what used to be Pacific Press, mm-hmm. the local papers, and it's not good. Uh, it's not good for anybody um, except maybe Donald Trump, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the staff has now been reduced to actually two people. They have two people um, writing in the arts and entertainment section. And and um, since uh, November or December, all post-media newspapers across Canada now, four of the seven days a week, have only national and wire service um, material in the arts and entertainment section, no local stuff. So the, actually the amount of local arts coverage has, um, has shrunken considerably. The, 
the Calgary, the main newspaper in Calgary has lost its theater critic. They have no theater reviews at all. Um, the yeah. fact that there's still four theater reviews a month in the Sun and Province is pretty amazing, actually. But the role of the critic, I don't think, has has changed much. Mm-hmm. It's become more difficult just because of social media, and everybody's a critic now, and anybody can have a blog, and and um, and um, most people. I mean, my I've got two kids who are both in their early 30s. Neither one, I doubt, has ever read a newspaper. Uh, they certainly don't get their information from papers. They get them, they get them online. And I don't know that they uh, particularly distinguish between between self-appointed bloggers and professional critics when they, you know, when they read reviews of anything. How do you feel about that? I feel about that with my kids, or generally, uh, generally about um, just well, I, anyone writing. I, I think it's too bad, you know. I mean, I I think it's great that people write. I think it's great that people express their views. I think it's too bad that we live in a culture where um, authority has become so suspect that nobody cares, or in some ways, um, they care less about your credentials than. Um, they care less about your work if you have credentials than if you don't, right? I mean, the dumbing down of culture is a, yeah. long, a long story that we don't need to get into. Right. And I don't want to sound like an elitist because I've always thought of myself and kind of pitched myself as what I would like to call a public intellectual. Like the, my interview with Stephen Sondheim, for me, is kind of at, at the center of what I like to think that I have done all my life is, is that I have... Um, I've shared ideas and I've shared um, my own likes and dislikes, but mostly my, my, what knowledge I have of, of the arts and of, of language and of culture um, with people in various uh, forums, the classroom, the lecture hall, um, the theater, the, the newspaper, the, um, the internet. So, uh, so no, I think I think you know I think competition is great. I think it's great that people have the opportunity to to um, to uh, publicly share their views of anything, but it would but I think it would also be be nice be better if people had some discre- if if readers if consumers of culture were a little had a little bit more discretion in terms of understanding the difference between somebody who knows something about what they're talking about and somebody who doesn't and tell me but uh, but your thought about whether reviewers and education are important do you think that reviewers should be have an education in theater yeah i do um yeah i think one you know one of the one of the more bizarre phenomena um of the uh that, that i saw in say the the 90s and the first decade of the 2000s in um, in the Vancouver newspapers was that they would just they would just rotate people from one department to another so that so that you know you'd be in sports one week and then you'd be in arts the next week and um, you know the newspapers themselves didn't require any particular expertise in the subject matter you know if you could write and you could observe, and you could write about what you observed, and then you could write in any department was the idea. Mm. And so you ended up with people, you know, in theater who didn't really know anything about theater. And I think that does make a difference. It makes, I like to, I would like to think 
that my experience on stage um, is as important uh, to my reviews as my experience in the audience, that I, that I know what it's like to be an actor, that I know how the process works, that I know what a director does, and I know when in a musical the musical director comes in and when you, know, when you actually bring in the orchestra. And, um, uh, and I think without that kind of knowledge, you're, you know, you're... Uh, you know, you're kind of stumbling around in the dark a little bit. And, and, and it's one thing to say it's, always, it's all about opinion, but there's a difference between opinion that is um, supported by, by knowledge and experience and opinion that's just kind of blind and, and you know, Trumpish. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, um, do you still keep notes? Like when you go to see the show, how do you keep your notes? Oh, uh, <laughs> Very badly. Very, yeah. I have a little notebook, and I write yeah. in a notebook, but normally I'm writing in the dark. And, <laughs> right. uh, and I come home, and I look at my notebook, and I can't, and I can, I can't make out anything that I've written. <laughs> so, uh, right. so, so usually there's, there are only two or three. I, I like to quote. I think this is part of my academic um, training. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always like to include a, a, a quotation or two in a review to kind of ground it in specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a show, like if it's a new play or it's a show that I don't have, where I don't have access to the script, uh, or there's no Wikipedia entry, I, um, I'll really try to write down a word for word quotation that, that strikes me as particularly clever or germane. Um, and if there's some, you know, if there's something about the set or something about an actor, you know, if there's one thing that really stands out, I'll make an effort to write that down because I know that. I'm likely to forget it by the next day if I don't. But uh, but I rely much less now on note taking than I used to in the old days. I, I you know I've written God maybe two thousand reviews, um, so I know the formula and uh, and I guess my in some ways my brain has been tr- trained to um, retain certain useless things which um, which are useful you know within the next. 24 to 48 hours, in which then I'll completely forget. It has no presence, no passion, no life. It's neither pastoral nor lyrical. You don't suppose that it's satirical? <laughs> Just density without intensity. No life. Boys with their clothes off. I must paint a factory next. It's so mechanical. Methodical. It might be in some dreary socialistic periodical. Good. So drab, so cold. And so controlled. No No life. life. His touch is too deliberate somehow. The dog. (laughs) (laughs) These things get hard. Do you think that reviews affect... Ticket sales. Um, that's a question that I've, I have actually asked Bill Miller that question. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he said, no, not anymore. He said in the old days, again, when everybody read the Vancouver Sun and when Max Wyman was reviewing and Christopher Defoe, those were the, the big reviewers in the 70s and 80s, that a, um, a, a bad review could, could hurt a show badly. 
a good review could help a show to some extent. Um, he didn't feel that uh, it really mattered that much anymore, hmm. partly because, again, because so f- far fewer people um, use the newspaper as the, their guide to, to culture. Certainly the arts club, you know, the audience is amazingly um, loyal. Uh, <laughs> you know, I... I um, um, Oh God! What's the show? That's uh, Mary Poppins. You know, I really I hate Mary Poppins. I think it's a really sucky, really sucky show. And I, I basically trashed it. And you know, the first time it came out, well, what? It's in its third remount. You know, they extend it every time. It sells out every night. Um, not that you know, not that I have personally have the power to to make or break a show. I think a rave review or two or three can make a big difference. Um, you know, a show like Onyegin, um obviously had great word of mouth, but it also, like all the reviewers just said, this is just as a fabulous show that everybody should see, and everybody went and saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I don't think, no. I, so my, my short answer to your question is, I don't think it makes any difference. In this particular theater culture, there isn't an equivalent to the New York Times, um, where if you get a bad review from the Times, uh, you know, the morning after your show, you close it within 48 hours. Um, there's nothing, there's never been an equivalent to that in Vancouver, and, and uh, there certainly isn't now. Right. And I guess the same for being an actor, a positive review or a negative review. Do you think it feels the same? Yeah. Well, it doesn't, you know, it feels, yes. <laughs> it feels like a positive review or a negative review. Sure. Everybody wants a good review. Um, but it doesn't affect your career. Think, I don't think it affects, no, I don't really think it affects your career. Uh, again, I don't know. I've never really sat on, you know, your side of the, of the casting couch. Sure. Um, but, uh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really think so. Um, one of the things I really liked when I came to Vancouver was, uh, in the seventies was the sense that, that, that credentials didn't matter at least in the theater. Nobody, nobody had a resume. Nobody asked for a resume. Nobody asked for where you had trained or if you had trained. Nobody wanted your reviews. You just, you know, you either you did it and they liked it or they didn't like it. That's obviously changed as the kind of um, cities become more professionalized and so on. But, um, but, I, but there still seems to me to be a sense here uh, that, especially in TV and film, where I do most of my work now, um, you know, that, that you either, you can either do it or you can't. And, you know, the downside of that is that, um, you know, you might have 180 items on IMDb and you might have had, you know, you might have been like a, a lead actor in 20 shows and you might have had recurring roles on various series, but still nobody gives you a job without an, an audition, if you're a Canadian actor anyway. Sure. Um, uh, you know, with, with only a handful of exceptions. So no, I don't think reviews matter to a person's career um, in Vancouver. I think they matter a lot to a person's sense of self and ego satisfaction. Sure. What, do you, what are you the most proud of in your work up to this point? And that's a tricky question, but if you had to maybe, I know you see, oh, you mentioned you have three things that you've been doing uh, as careers in your life. Obviously, education is important to you, but what what is it that you you identify with the most? Um, well, I taught at UBC for over forty years, and um, and 
I think I had a successful career there. I was at one point a very, very good teacher. Um, one of the reasons that I decided to retire when I did was that I felt like I wasn't as good a teacher as I had been and that I had kind of lost, I'd lost the fire. So I am, I am proud of, the, of my teaching over the years, of my engagement with students. I'm proud of the, the work that I've done with, with graduate students. I'm getting them, helping to get them jobs and kind of um, encourage them to enter the same field that I entered and have had great satisfaction in my life. So uh, um opening the minds of young people to um, the, the joys and the power uh, and the complexities of literature and theater, art generally, culture generally. Um, that's been, I guess that's been probably my biggest satisfaction. It's been the biggest chunk of my life. The thing that I've liked doing best is acting. Hmm. Um, it's what, it's what, thrills me it's what kind of satisfies my soul mm -hmm. the most um uh I, I certainly you know i wouldn't put I, I i'm proud of the work that i've done as a theater reviewer but um but it's not in the same category mm -hmm. i think uh you know uh, a reviewer exists on really on the margins of a community whereas an actor and a teacher are right at the heart of uh, of those communities. And so mm -hmm. that, that's the big difference for me. Thank you very much for doing this today. Pleasure, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. That was my interview with Jerry Wasserman. Please visit Jerry's website at vancouverplays.com. For more information about episodes and guests on From the Pit, please join us on our website at fromthepitpodcast.com. Or you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash from the pit podcast and join the conversation.